Susie G, and welcome to episode three. I'm excited to share this episode with you because I really admire the hell out of today's guest. Today I'm sharing my conversation with Carolyn, a fellow widow. I knew of Carolyn through mutual friends, but didn't really get to know her until after my husband John died. She reached out to me and said, hey, I know you don't really know me, but here are some things I've experienced and learned, and maybe they will be helpful to you. And the things she laid out were so helpful. Things like, gather your kids in tight. Do what you need to do for you and your family, regardless of what others say. Have a designated friend take pictures at the funeral, because you will forget a lot of that day, and you'll want the reminder. And that last one turned out to be especially great practical advice. The more I talked with Carolyn, the more I realized that our stories had some real commonalities. The most stark one being, her marriage hadn't been fantastic. It's a thing you never would have necessarily gleaned from her social media. And I thought about that aspect in my own marriage. I think any unhappiness people picked up on in my marriage and family, people thought that came from my husband's illness, not necessarily from the marriage itself. And it's not that I was lying on social media about how things were, but I think we all definitely curate what we put out there. And I think a lot of people in not great marriages put out a cheerful, positive face to things, not to mislead anyone, but because it's almost aspirational. This is how we want our marriages to be. Also, and I can't stress this enough, you don't owe your shit to any social media platform. You don't owe the masses your ugly or complicated parts. Those things should be saved for your inner circles. But understand that with that comes the knowledge that we cannot actively judge others' families and lives and relationships by social media. It's not necessarily an inaccurate picture, but it's certainly not a whole picture. Getting more of Carolyn's whole picture from conversations with her made me feel so much less shit-tastic about my own complicated layers. And watching how she has led herself and her family through grief into a new normal has been empowering and inspiring. So please enjoy this conversation with my badass widow-in-arms sister, Carolyn. Tell me how you guys met. Um, okay, so I was young. I was 17 in high school, small town, not a lot to do. He was also in town. He had been gone for a little while, came back. He was 21. Um, it's just not a lot to do in that town. So he came to basketball games and such, and we started flirting and, um, started dating. I feel like I have to say to, in my defense, <laughs> cause I married very young. I tried to think about like, what was important to me at that time in my life? And it was really just boys. And I was like, what the freak? What was wrong with me? Why were boys so important? And so um, I was kind of embarrassed about that for a long time. Like why, especially when I've gotten to know other, or since then, no, got to know teenagers and stuff that really have it together. And I think, why, why was I like that? And um, I realized like I, I really had dad issues. I, um, I needed boys to tell me I was pretty and that I was clever and that and that's what I wanted. I wanted their attention. I, I wore short shorts and I flirted with everyone and I love, it was like a game. I liked to find guys that were cute and then figure out a way to make them like me back. And then of course I didn't know what to do with it. And I would cheat on them with other boys. So they would leave me alone. And that's really hard for me to look at now because I love my dad. He's a really great person, but he was busy. Mm-hmm. He was busy with his job. And I, and that's hard because I don't want to lay it all at his feet. 
But there is a lot of responsibility with dads. They have to tell their daughters they're clever and smart and pretty and and let them know they want to be around them just because they're enjoyable. And I didn't have that. I was the, I'm the youngest and everyone was busy. And so I went looking for it somewhere else. I went looking for it with just about, I mean, I dated older boys. And when I say date, I mean, I kissed a lot. Um, too old for me. And so then when Dave came back into town and I met him and he was cute and it was just another game. It was like, I'm going to get this older guy. Well, I knew he kind of already thought I was cute and liked me and he was flirty. And so we started dating. I was a senior in high school. He was four years older than me. So we dated um, for two years and then got, I got married and I just, I think about that a lot. Like, what was going on? Why were my parents okay with that? Why were they okay with me dating someone so much older? But I think I was also stubborn and a pain in the butt. Some of it, I think, is my mom had her own issues involving um, a baby she gave up for adoption when she was in high school. And now realizing, I think she thought, well, you know, hey, let's get Carolyn married off. Let's get that done. What did your marriage overall look like? So at first it was, I mean, I think it was just pretty normal. I mean, as normal as it can be for a 19 year old and a 23 year old, we were going to college. We were trying to figure things out. Um, it's pretty common for people in our area to get married young and so it didn't seem strange, you know, to be so young and married. Um, but I think we just, we just weren't, we weren't adults. So we didn't really know. Well, one, I don't think we knew what marriage was supposed to be, right? So it's not mm -hmm. like you're aware that, hey, this could be better or more if we were more grown up and really kind of had an idea of what we were doing. Right. So, I mean, we were friends and we we had fun and it was at some point it, you know, I thought, well, Hey, I want a baby. So we had a baby and we just kind of went on with that. And Dave, his, he finished school and got a job and we moved and we just moved forward. And I don't looking back, it's so easy to see that we were just, we weren't strong enough friends. We weren't like these best friends that got married because we just loved, loved, loved each other, loved mm -hmm. being with each other. It was, it just seemed like the next step and we dated for a long time and I'm sure hormones were a big part of it. And it seemed like such a normal expectation. You know, you, you go to school, you get married, you have babies. This is what I feel like I just expected for my life. I didn't um, think much about finishing college or what I needed to do for me or who I was going to be outside of getting married, having children. Um, and so I think Dave was really super cool with like, this is, I'm the provider. I went to school. I'm, I'm doing my thing. I'm a good dad and all those things. And he was, okay with life just kind of going on like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think he was modeled a super great marriage himself because his parents really seemed just kind of like partners 
they don't really seem particularly um, affectionate. They're just kind of, yeah. So I just didn't realize that I should have looked at how do you see marriage? You know, what, what do you right. expect? And for my parents, they are best friends and they like pass books back and forth. And there was a point where I realized he's never going to read books and do that. And that seems like such a small thing, but I can remember falling asleep in the car when I was young with my parents driving and talking and discussing books. And it was like this sadness that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have that. I wouldn't have this person who just discussed ideas or thoughts or, or was interested in that type of thing. And so we just moved forward. And as we were going, of course, now that I see it, it's so obvious, but we were moving so much farther apart because I was growing up and becoming who I was going to be. And by the time I realized who that was, um, it was, I was already on a different path. I mean, that's not, I wanted children. I wanted to be a mom. I wanted all of that, but I also wanted a partnership that involved um, curiosity and growth and education and um, exp- exploration of like the world and ourselves as people and in our relationship. And I think he was just really okay with just things staying as they were. And um, so that, that created a lot of tension. And, and then eventually I started to see things that I realized um, how similar he was to my dad. I just, I wanted him to look at me, simple things, simple things. I wanted him to look at me when I talked to him. I wanted him to come home from work and sit down while I was making dinner and say, what did you do today? How was your day? I wanted him to ask me about my interests, the things that I love. I wanted him to care about who I was and to just feel like he wanted to be with me. And yeah, I realized now he's, he's just like my dad. My dad was busy. He was worried about taking care of our family. I think, I don't know. I don't know why he wasn't the kind of dad to say, Hey, how was your day? What, what are you up to? What, what, what interests you? And so that was really hard. And we had multiple conversations where I would, you know, how in a marriage, sometimes the argument is not about you didn't help me with this. It's not about that. It's about the fact that it's been five years since I felt like you wanted to be with me in some way other than the bedroom. Like it's, that's what the argument's about, but you keep having these dumb arguments about, Hey, you forgot to pick up the kids or whatever it is. And so we'd have a lot of those until it would reach a breaking point where I would just be really upset. And unfortunately, like I learned from my mom, like the worst way to behave in a marriage is you just stop talking. You just stop talking to him. You turn kind of cold and miserable. And and that's kind of what I would do until finally he would be like, okay, I'm sorry. What happened? Blah, blah, blah. And we'd have this long argument and I would try again to say, hey, I want you to date me. I want you to care about spending time with me. I want to know that you care about who I am. And he would always do the same thing. I'm sorry. You know, I'll do better. I'll listen, blah, blah, blah. And he would for a while. And then... And, and of course he was trying, he had to try, he had to try to be interested in me, which is a crappy feeling, which sucks that they have to, that it's work. It's work exactly. to try to do very simple things that, yeah. Or what you feel yeah. would be a very simple thing. Yeah. Cause who wants to hang out with a friend that's like, okay, uh, let's sit down. I am going to try to be interested in who you are. So go, 
You would never Tell keep me. a friendship like that, right? No. You would never be like, oh, yeah. I can't wait to hang out with Susie. She's so excited about who I am. I can hear she, her eyes roll when she talks to me. I, I can see her like wanting to leave the room. So that would happen with Dave. He would walk around the house doing things. And I would find myself following him like one of the kids. Like trying to be like, so this is what I did, or this is what I'm thinking about, this is what I'm concerned about, and and I realized I'm like, I am like one of the children who follows the parent around, going, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. And I was like, well, this sucks. But anyway, it was just a cycle. We would we would have an argument. He would say things would get better. I would hope. I'm a Pollyanna. I'm an optimist. Kept hoping things would get better. Um, I would I would try to believe him, you know, and and try to buy into the idea that he actually cared, was interested, because I wanted that. I wanted it, so I chose to see that he was trying and that he wanted it. I mean, and you have to do that in a marriage. You can't say, oh, I don't believe you actually care. So even though you're trying, I mean, because at some point, I don't know, it's hard because they, people do have to try at things that are hard for them. And I guess you hope that eventually it will actually be important. How um how was your marriage at the time Dave passed away? What did it look like at that point? And like how how long had so, you been married? Like what you know where was the state at that point? We had been married almost 19 years. He died a, a little over a month after our 19th anniversary. I want to say like maybe a year nine months before that. Dave had finally decided. Oh maybe I haven't been doing enough. Maybe. Maybe I should actually try. And I, I think something finally clicked and he like he wanted a better relationship. So he started trying harder, suggesting dates. He would ask me to do things with him. He would um he started leaving me notes outside the bedroom door because he got up before I did. And so in the morning I would find him on um the banister. And I know he was trying. And it was so hard for me because I felt like a horrible person. But I didn't want them. I didn't yeah. want to spend time with him. I didn't want the notes. I didn't. It felt like it put me on the spot to like he expected reciprocation. And I didn't want to. I was fine with like going through the motions, but I'd filled my life with other people, um, close friends. He wasn't willing to give me the relationship that I needed. And and I say that with knowing that now I wasn't aware of it at the time. Like I wasn't like consciously like I will talk to my mom every day. I will talk to my sister every day. I will put up, I will, I will do these like big parties with friends and just so that I feel like I'm around people who want to see me because right. I have a lot of friends who are excited to see me. And I just, I almost wanted him to see that and go, look, look how happy they are to see me. Like, are you like, yeah. I just, I wanted, I wanted that from him. I wanted yeah. him to feel excited to see me. Um, so anyway, yeah, he was trying and um, I was not. I was I was praying to want to love him and feeling like a horrible person, but also determined, well, I was also really hopeful that things would change, but I could not see how it would. I couldn't, I couldn't see how things would change. I feel like I need to reiterate to you that I went through the same thing when when I finally told John that like I wanted a divorce, the counsel he was given like from the bishopric at church was like, go out fighting. Like don't let this go easy. Like go out fighting. And I just remember thinking, 
please don't tell him that. Because, like, yeah. at that point, like, I could not, I was so done by that point that I was like, I can't, there's not an ounce of anything in me that I can conjure, like, the, like any kind exactly. of, like, reciprocation. No spark, I just can't. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I felt dead inside that way. And, like, bringing me flowers and stuff like that, I'm like, please stop trying. Like, I had to say, like, please stop trying, which felt terrible because it just yeah, you know you like feel like a bitch well i'm shooting like him down more like i'm shooting him down mm-hmm. again and again but i'm like it's so too little too late that i don't even know how to explain like how little too late and it's hard because you feel like yeah dead inside is a good um way to explain it because i felt like i am a horrible person he is trying even though i also knew this is he could have tried sooner. We dug this hole. Like I felt like I was in this hole that had been dug for 19 years slowly. And then I'm sitting in it going, I, you know, you can't feel the light. There's no warmth from this relationship and it's not the way you want. And like, here, let's put like flowers and notes. So that's like what, like a spoonful, right? you know, and like this should fix things. And, it and an Olympic pool. Yeah. 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 In an Olympic pool. Like, doesn't that make a difference? And it's like, no, it doesn't. But I think when I got the sense from him that he was almost, well, he was, he was kind of like frustrated. Like, what? Look, I'm trying. And mm. it's like, but that, that's, yeah, like an Olympic pool. Like, well, sorry, you know, my toes are wet. Whatever. Like, you just put a little and like, uh, I also knew I don't I don't know if it's for you this way too but we had like cycles where I was like I know I also knew that if at that point like if I gave in and went back I'm like in three months time we will be mm. back in the same exact place we were where yeah where I'm like why why did I because we had a cycle to our thing I don't know if you guys did but I'm like this is all you know all of this is like happening now three months from now we're going to be right back in the same spot so yeah we definitely did and I feel like it got worse every time Mm -hmm. you know and and it it got especially bad after the birth of my last son my last child for whatever reason things I think he was busy with work um well like I've told you before he he was gone for long periods of time in the summers well it used to be in our when we were first married I would miss him I wanted him home and I I would miss him And somewhere along the way, I stopped. I enjoyed it. I looked forward to it. I was fine with him being gone for long periods of time. I could be the head honcho mom. I could plan trips and fun things. And I didn't have to deal with any of the tension or expectations from him. I didn't have to shoot him down in the bedroom because, and I, this is something I thought about long and hard after he died and I, well, I started thinking about it years ago and it just, it was a slow process. Like I'm sure with you that as well, there's so much that you're like, this is clear now that I'm not in the thick of it. You've had time to process it and really think of it. There's some distance, you've read things, you've talked to people like, is this normal? Is this how it is? And um, for Dave, sex was intimacy. And that, that was how he felt close to me. And I think, and I don't, like you were saying with your mom, I don't completely blame him for that because I don't think he was raised in a particularly healthy, let's talk about sex and how that works in a marriage or partnership. I don't think he was raised in that kind of environment where, because I, I, for me, I'm trying to teach my kids, like, sex is awesome. You know, it's fun. It's yeah. for a committed relationship. It, it helps. It's like glue that binds you but um first you need intimacy Mm -hmm. and um dave did not understand that he 
he wanted to be close to me in a horizontal horizontal fashion. And um, I realized, which it seems so duh now, right? But sex is what comes from true intimacy, right. from truly knowing someone and them being just this, ah, I don't even know, what are the words you would use? Like you're like rock solid partner that like knows you so well. And what comes from that is physical affection. Yeah. Well, sex is an extension of being intimate. Yes. You don't get to intimacy through sex. Like that's backwards. Like you, the intimacy has to be there first and then sex like comes after that. Like then you want the sex then like. Exactly. And I don't, I'm sure you can sympathize with this or identify with this as well because he would say things like, I don't even know why you love me. And at that point, I no longer loved him the way he wanted me to love him. Like I loved him as this, as a friend or as this partner, someone who I'd had all this history with and grown up with as a parent and as a person. Um, I loved him in this way and I cared for him, but I didn't, that romantic love, that feel, those feelings of just, this is my super best friend. They were gone. They'd been gone for a while. And I, I can't really pinpoint when, when that happened, but it was gone. But I felt pressure to say, no, I, I love you. Right. Yeah. We had the same which is, thing. Which is really hard. It's hard to say when you're like, I know, because there's that, there's a part of you that loves them enough that doesn't want them to hurt. Yes. It all, it, and, everything comes from that place. From you not wanting to hurt them more than they're already hurting and hurting themselves. Yeah. So, so that was hard. And I don't even remember how he left it other than he, I think that was when he, he took some of his clothes and he moved down to the guest bedroom. And, um, and at that point, yeah, there was, it was just a dark, dark place. Cause it was like, I don't, I don't know how this gets better. I don't, I don't know what to do. Can you kind of take me through how he passed away? What the events surrounding that? Yeah, so he left on a trip with some of our sons. And when he left, I was annoyed with him. He was trying to pack things up and he was snapping at the boys. And um, that always really bothered me. But there again, it was probably a thing that was not about the thing, right? Right. But it bothered me because I'm like, hey, they, because he was behind and he wanted to leave sooner and um, he was getting frustrated and he was kind of taking it out on them. And so I was annoyed with him and I just kind of gave him a side hug and said bye. And of course, I felt horrible about that later. He called one time while he was gone and um, I don't even remember if I told him I love him. He apologized. He said, I'm sorry. I was getting after the boys. And, you know, I I think I was probably just still annoyed. I was probably, you know, the worst parts of yourself. Because it's not like you think this will be the last time I talk to him. Um, And I was like, you know, hey, they didn't, they wanted to go. They were doing their best, you know. Maybe don't be so hard on them. And I don't know. I think um, some of our kids talked to him on the phone. And... And um, he died the next night. He died in an accident. It was sudden and traumatic. And um, one of his family members that lives here in town um, 
came to tell me. And at first, they didn't know for sure if he was gone. There was some confusion. And um, so first one family member came, and then another family member that I knew better came to tell me. And I assumed he'd be fine. Like, I thought he was probably fine. Like, I I didn't think it was going to be as bad as, like, I didn't think what had happened was fatal. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I wasn't that concerned. Like the first family member was like, you might want to call your mom to come have her stay with you. And I'm like, I call my mom and I'm like, it's probably fine though. They were busy and like, it's probably fine. But so then that family member, different family member came back. And um, so then I called my mom and that's hard. I called her and said, he's, he's dead. And so her and my dad, they rushed here and I just wanted my mom (laughs) so bad. I just felt like, um, and I think we've talked about that. I just, I felt like a kid. I just felt like I can't, I can't function. I didn't know what to do. And my house filled up with people who wanted to help and holy crap. That's hard. I am like the people pleaser. I want to make everyone happy and don't worry about me. And so also I'm sure I was in shock. And so I didn't know what to say or do or how to function. And I kind of tried to act normal. And it was weird, you know, because people were like suddenly in my home doing my dishes and folding my laundry, and which was great and nice of them. And my youngest had no idea what was going on. He was little, so I didn't tell him none of my other kids were home a couple of my kids were in school and a dear friend a neighbor called and well first she said let me go get him and I was like well I don't know and she's like no I need to get him before someone tells him because Mm -hmm. I didn't understand at the time how the news would spread in our town widow with all these kids um and so I became infamous or notorious no I don't know I became everyone everyone knew about me and my situation quickly. And so um, my friend got my daughters, brought them home. And that was one of the hardest things I had to do was to tell them that he had died. And one of my daughters, she, she she's just such a daddy's girl. And she would be sad every time he was gone. She would cry and look forward to him coming back. And so that was hard because she just cried and cried. And my other daughter was much younger and her and I have talked about it since then. How she was, I think their little brains just kind of protect him a little because she just couldn't, it was too much. And so she was upset, but then she was fine. And she went out and helped one of my friends figure out where to put sheets and towels she'd folded and yeah and so that day is just a blur of people 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 which I so appreciate but at the same time I I just wanted my mom and dad I wanted my mom and my dad and I wanted my kids and my boys weren't home yet they were still uh with family and um their grandpa was the one who told them what had happened and they 
they had uncles with them and it was really really hard for them they um then brought them home and it was hours i found out in the morning and my boys didn't get home until maybe eight or nine it was late and my oldest he walked in the door and he just he's big <laughs> he's a tall guy and he just made a beeline for me and he just collapsed on me and cried and and we went to another room and I because there was still people and mostly it was my parents left but there was other family and people and but we went into a bedroom and they told me what had happened and I don't know if you're like me, but even when you watch a movie that you've seen a hundred times and you know what happens that's bad, you still, there's that part of you that hopes there's a different ending. Mm -hmm. And that's how I felt. It was weird later to realize that I was expecting or hope not expecting, hoping that as they told this story, there would be a different ending. And of course there wasn't. Yeah, it was, it was just, it was shattering. I had no idea what to even think or do next or how to feel. And I think one of the hard parts for me, I mean, there was many hard parts, but the moment when I first heard there was a problem, I went to say a prayer and I didn't pray that he would be okay. I prayed that I would be okay with whatever happened. And there is this dark part of me that thought, and it's hard to admit, it's hard, but I, I thought maybe he won't come home. And I can say that knowing I, I've spoken to many, many friends or people who have expressed like, I wish it had been my husband, which yeah. is dark and sad but they're saying that from a, a really hard place. And, and in a way I appreciate that because it made me feel less horrible mm -hmm. for even thinking that, because of course, as soon as I thought it, I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why would I think such a thing? Why would I wish that on my kids? Why would I wish that on him? And it wasn't a wish so much as that, you know, the worst part of yourself thinking, well, this is a way out. Mm-hmm. And so then I felt guilty and horrible for being, for that happening, for the thing that I hoped for, for the split second had happened. You know now that that had no bearing on that, right? Of course I do. Okay. I got to tell you that, friend, if you, okay, okay. <laughs> no, that'd be a horrible God that's like, okay. No. <laughs> this is I'm finally listening to your prayers and this is the one I'm gonna answer, right? Yeah. yeah. I did pray for it though. It was a thought. But so then my mom stayed with us. We just then it was just keeping a flow, right? Trying to make all the plans and figure things out and paperwork and funeral plans and I just I felt like I was tiny and I didn't know anything and my parents drove me to choose a burial plot. My dad was amazing. He, um, for everything that I'm like, I wish my dad had done this or this. My dad is a great man. And I mean, we all 
we all have, you know, you know, we talk, we joke around about the ways we might screw up our children. We all have our things we struggle with. So I love him. And I, I don't know what it is he's gone through to make him struggle with certain things, but he was very, very good to me. And he just, he swooped in and he, he figured out all these things and he would, he tried he tried to minimize any of the decisions or hard things I had to do. And my mom made the point one time that, that if my dad could have brought Dave back, he would have, but he couldn't. So he was trying to do everything in his power that he could to make it better. So they helped with everything and People were amazing to us and did a hundred things, hundred I don't even know, thousands of things for us, kind gestures and money, and it was overwhelming. I've often thought that I we had such an outpouring from our community, yes. from our neighborhood, from our church, from, and everything is such a blur for me because I think I was I was in shock for a long time. I will never be able to thank all the people that helped me. Oh, no. Like I Because I, I don't remember who all did what. It was so... No. But I feel like in that time that I needed that, it was like this big bubble wrap bubble that just came around me. And yeah. um, I'll never be able to thank everybody. Exactly. So, I mean, there, was, there were times that I was like, oh, I just... Like, eventually we put up a sign on our door that said, please, you know, I oh, appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, I was like, thank you. And it was funny because I would open the door and it was like a shrine. There'd be cookies and flowers and all these things people had left. So I so appreciate that. People, they did amazing things. And not only was I grateful for it in that moment, but there was a part of me that was aware that someday my kids are going to look back at this time. And there's a lot they're going to forget. And there's, you know, there's just going to be these deep sadness kind of feelings. But I really, really loved all that everybody did because I hope it's stuck in their brains mm -hmm. how much everyone loved them and their father and me and that they just, all these people just immediately leaped to, leapt to helping us. And they didn't say, if you need something, let me know. People just did things. They yep. did surprising things that I'm like, I would never think of doing that. They were amazing. And so that, it was such... It was such a great testament to me of how people can truly love each other and how they can help each other. That there was one young girl that stopped by and she had called her mom and said, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should go over. And her mom said, you're not going to hurt anything by going over. Just go. And so I thought that was such a good point that it's like sometimes we don't do things because we're like, well, maybe I'll get in the way. Maybe I'll do this. Well, you know. And maybe you will say something stupid because people said stupid things to me. But I also understand, I shouldn't say stupid. They said unthoughtful things, you know, mm -hmm. where it's like, why would you say that? But I know that they were doing their best. They were trying. Yeah. They were trying their best. And and there again, I don't remember who the people were who said the things that I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like one, one lady told me, you're living my nightmare. What's the response you're, to that? I know, like, you're welcome. Glad I could do that for you. So you don't have to. Do you want me to I sign know. something? I don't have a Sharpie. Do you have one? I know. I'm like, 
thanks. Yeah, I don't know. I know. I don't know what I said. And there was a stark difference between the people who spoke to me. And I don't know if you got this. I'm sure you did. I'm sure all widows do. Where you get the people who talk to you like they think you can handle this. Mm-hmm. And the people who talk to you like, oh, dear, honey, sweet uh, mother of all things, how will you get out of bed? Like, and you're like, ah, oh, should I be worried? I mean, they, they make you. And so then there were the people that were like, you've got this. You're strong. You're capable. You know, you can do this. And it, it was like, it was empowering. It was like, damn right I can. Yes, I can do this. Yeah. And so that's one takeaway I got from like, you know, when people struggle with hard things, don't make them feel like, oh, you should just find a hole to die in. Like... Just crawl to it now, sweetheart. Like, no, like, build them up. Help mm-hmm. them feel. And that's not to minimize someone's pain. Like, don't be like, oh, you have that hard thing? Ah, suck it up. You're good. But, I mean, I think you can you can find things to say, like, oh, man, this is hard. But I believe in you. I believe that you've got this. I think that's the thing is to acknowledge that it's hard. Acknowledge, yeah. And then say, but you got this. Mm-hmm. Like, you really got this. Yeah. Because that builds, that doesn't go, oh, make you doubt, make you go, maybe I don't got this. I feel like there's a lot of things that people have, it's just like the tried and true things that you say in hard circumstances. And some of them are so bad that I'm like, these need to go away now. So let's hear some of them. So the worst one for me, because people said a lot of, again, not dumb, but for lack of a better word, dumb things, you know, because they don't know what to say. They're Um, trying their hardest. They are. They're trying. Um, but the hardest one was my oldest got, who was 17, 17, 17, um, who got from a couple different people, like, you're the man of the house now. Oh, like, no, no, he's a 17 year old kid. He's not like, everything's on you now. I'm like, can we let that go now that like, no, telling kids they're the man of the house. People I've gotten that well, and my son got that my oldest got that from a friend where she was upset and he's like what's wrong and and she said well now you're gonna have to put all your dreams and plans on hold because you'll have to take care of your family and I'm like uh no I will take care of this family thank you very much I've already been doing a pretty darn good job of it right so I think I can handle it and so, yeah, I didn't like that. And I've heard that since where people will say, oh, I bet that was really hard on him, him having to step up. And I mean, I will say our family had to change, mm-hmm. but everybody had to change. It wasn't Every, like everybody had to boy. step up. Everybody. Everybody. Yeah. We would have conversations about it, about the things I needed from my boys, the things I needed them to do to help me with. We all have different talents. We, since Dave died so unexpectedly, there were a lot of things that not all of us knew. Like, like one of the boys knew how to turn off the water outside, like, you know, for winter. Like, yep. what? So we had to kind of, like, pool our information. Like, right. does anyone know where he kept this paperwork? Does anyone know where he kept the titles? Does anyone know? So it was like we needed each other. And I, they have different skills and talents, mechanic work, other things that we would say to each other. Can you do that? Are you capable? And or they would share with me, like, uh, dad told me how to do this once. He showed me how to do this. And be like, awesome. But I never, ever, ever wanted them to feel like any of this was on their shoulders. 
never wanted them to feel like they had to change things. Like, hello, that's hard enough as it is to lose your dad. I cannot imagine how hard that would be. But let's also make you feel like you have to change your life plans to take care of your mama and your younger siblings. No. Yeah, I'm not cool with that. But I do think people say things that they just kind of say stuff that they've heard other people say. And also, I think they're speaking from a place of their fears. So when people say things like, oh my gosh, you're living my nightmare, or I can't imagine how hard this would be, or like, I don't know, some of that stuff is it's like they're, they're thinking, they're speaking from where their fears and their paranoia and oh my gosh, this is the worst thing ever that could happen. And how would I handle it? And so that's what, that's what I'm going to talk about. Mm-hmm. And it's like, maybe check yourself before you talk to the widow. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But then I say that also, I don't want to make people self-conscious because I was out with a girlfriend. She wanted to take me to lunch. It was probably just a few weeks after it was probably a few weeks after Dave died and she about broke down halfway through lunch and said, I am so afraid I'm going to say something wrong. And it was so sweet and from the heart. And it it really touched me because she was just, I didn't realize she was on edge all this time trying to figure out what do I say? What do I not say? And so on the flip side, I'd rather people not be like that. You know, even acknowledging saying, I have no freaking clue what to say. And I might say something really dumb, but I love you. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And And I think, I think so many people feel pressured to say the right thing when you don't necessarily have to say anything at all like just sitting with like just sit mm-hmm. with a person like just sit and there even and saying listen. like I wish I had the thing to say that made this yes. better yep I wish I could fix this obviously I can't yep. like knowing someone's just thinking about you mourning with you caring that you're hurting yeah yep. like sitting with you like you said and so I, I don't and that's so helpful and the other thing is people saying what do you need? And like meaning it. Cause you know, the people who say, well, call me if you need something, but there's those people. Well, cause I've heard of people who they want like everybody around them there in their house, crying with them, whatever. Or there's the people who are like, I just want to shut myself up in my room. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want my children. So I had people offer like, can I take your kids? I'll come get your kids. They would just say, I'll come get your kids and I will take them somewhere else. And I'm like, keep your hands off my kids. Like I need them here. For me, I needed my kids. I wanted my parents. And that was pretty much it. I appreciated all the things from people. And I did need that on some level. But first and foremost, I just needed my kids and my parents. And I wanted them there. Did you did you find at any point that you were kind of trying to also take care of like other people's feelings? Yes. Because I felt like people would come to me like, what do you need? And then I'm like, feel pressured. Like I'm looking around, like make up something for them to do because like you want to make them feel useful. Like even when I'm like, I'm like, I'm mourning, I'm all over the place. I'm like up and then I'm still and then also I'm up in my head trying trying to to think of trying to like think of something for like this neighbor to do. And yeah, no, I felt like that. And I also felt like I had to make sure they knew I was okay. Like we were okay. Mm-hmm. Like they'd come over and they would look at me. You know how they look at you. There's a yeah. certain way they tilt their head a little. Like, are <laughs> yep. you okay? I know the look. You know? Yeah. And they look at you like, are you broken? Like, like, should I, should I stand right here with my arms to make sure you don't fall over? They just, it's like they're analyzing you. How broken are you? And so I feel like I had to say, I'm okay we're okay. And like, I had to smile 
And I, I mean, I, I'm a smiley person, but like, I feel like I had to, I had to smile. I had to be like, it's okay. It's good. We're okay. Thank you. And that was why I eventually put up the note. Cause it was exhausting. It was exhausting to feel like I had to make sure other people could go home and not worry about us. I'm like, no, I need to just like love my kids and let my parents love me and us. And just, that's all I should have to worry about right now. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, that can be too overwhelming to have people like, what can I do? What can I do? But I do think everybody grieves differently. It's because I told a friend in the neighborhood, I told her, I'm like, I'm overwhelmed. There's so many people. And she sent out a mass email. Everyone give Carolyn space. Yep. Just let her be. She appreciates it. And so it was so great that I didn't have to do it. I didn't have to say everybody leave me alone. Right. Right. <laughs> it was this nice little buffer of like, she's, she's having, she just needs to be with her kids. She just needs. And so that was really helpful to me. And I, but everybody's different. There is the people who are going to feel like, why didn't more people come by? You know, I needed you. And also, I mean, that made me think when you said people had asked for something to do, there was one guy and I hardly know him. He just appeared and he mowed all our lawn. We have a huge lawn. And he just showed up outside with a little right on lawnmower. He just drove it down our street. It was like, but, 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 but. And he just quietly did the whole lawn and then left. And it was like, that is such a true act of yeah. love and care. Because he wasn't like, I need to make sure you know I'm doing this. Right. Yeah. I'm just going to quietly go do this thing. If, if there's something obvious that, and you can ninja get it done without needing mm-hmm. like me to like come out and make a whole big thing about it. That's, yeah. That kind of stuff is so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So he just did it. He didn't check. I mean, because it's not like who's going to be like, how dare you? He just came and he saw something he could do and he did it. Yeah. And that happened again and again where people would say, I can help in this way. Will you let me? Or they would just do it or they would bring things by. Like a friend just brought like all these Legos by for my kids. And she just, she went to the store and she had her kids pick out one for each of them. And it was just such a nice gesture. It's just small, but it was like, here, let me give you this moment where you can just be happy and maybe not think about the crushing loss, which of course you're always thinking about, but you can have this little happy moment. And so loads of people did that. They gave us gift cards to places. They, they tried to think of ways they can make our families' lives better. What was your mindset and kind of attitude going forward? Like the first year it's weird. In some ways, there is that really hard part of me that's like, okay, this was, I don't know if I can say that. I don't know if this makes me sound horrible, Susie. But there is that part of me that was like, well, that was an easy way out. It's not an easy way out. It was horrible. I had that thought. Because I never would have left him. Never. Because Leaving him would not have been better for my kids. Mm-hmm. Well, I should say I never would have left him unless it had become so horrible for us that it was bad for my children. Right. But he was a good dad. He took care of us. There was nothing that was better. Or, I mean, I I brought these kids, we brought these kids into this marriage. I was not going to then shatter their world by going, this is too hard. And, 
And that's a personal choice for me. I'm not saying that in judging anyone who decides to do divorce. Yeah. yeah. Did you, um, I know for me, I felt a lot of eyes on me after. Um, and I felt some scrutiny. Some of it's probably me projecting stuff on people. That's not really there. It's me. But you're aware. there definitely was le- like some legitimate stuff too. You know, people watching you kind of. And I felt scrutinized in like how I was grieving and yes. mourning and if I was doing it the right way. And did you have any of that? And how did you handle that? So, well, I'm going to flip that around and ask you this. Do you feel like some people came over with things just to see how you were handling things? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I love it. A friend messaged me and she had a name for those people. Those are grief humpers. That's their straight up grief humpers. It's the yep. rubberneckers on the freeway where you're like, look, a tragedy's happened. Let's check that out. But um, I'm like, it was just perfect. They're grief yep. humpers. They're like, yep. well, I want some action. I want to get it on that action of, you know, sorrow. And it's bizarre. It's like they mm-hmm. want to get a little closer to the circus. Mm-hmm. How's she going to handle it? What's she going to do? Can she manage? Get and the skinny from the source, too. Yeah. Exactly. And so my mom, she tried to head off some of that where people would come by and she would meet them at the door and the yard and like take what they were offering but it's like I don't I don't have a reason to talk to them I don't have that kind of connection with them anymore or have ever so yes I did I'm sure some of it also is projecting but I did there was this feeling of being in like a a glass house of yeah everybody watching you and those first times like I went back to just shopping or things right I'm like Ah, I felt like I should wear glasses and a hat. I just, I didn't want anyone to recognize me. I didn't, I was done with the hug, hug, head tilt. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was just, and that's hard because I know everyone's doing a place of love, but it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Here's the thing though, there for each of those people, for each of those interactions, that is one interaction for them. It is the exactly. 20th interaction like that for the day for you. So, it, you and, know, it's not overwhelming for them. It's overwhelming exactly. for you. Yeah. And I don't think that should stop people from doing it still because that's right, just right, part right, of right. the, yeah. I think it's just part of the whole thing. But at one point my mom said that she had talked to someone who had said, the hardest part is when people move on and forget, move on with their lives. And I was like, holy crap, bring it on. Like, it's not that I wanted them to forget we were hurting, but there was part of me, and I think there again, it was me protecting myself. I'm like, I just need to find my new normal. I just need to find it. But I felt like I couldn't find a new normal because everyone was reminding me how bad it was. But it was like, I needed, I needed, 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 needed to just find this new place. I needed everyone to stop pitying me. And I guess maybe that's the difference. I felt a lot of pity. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, there was a sense of um, people watching me, especially when I started dating. There was a lot of... Tell me about that. Because <laughs> I kept mine. Did you keep any of your dating quiet? Because I, I absolutely did at first. Um, I did too. Only cause... my close, close friends mm-hmm. knew I was dating. And at first I started hanging out with this like confirmed bachelor. And he was like 11 years older than me. And he... We were just good friends, but it was like a relationship you wouldn't have had if you were married. You know, we'd go to movies, we'd go out and stuff. And it was such a great way to just kind of 
ease myself into because at first it was like oh my gosh I'm going to be hanging out with a, a dude by myself oh my gosh a dude oh if he tries to kiss me I'm like oh my gosh he's not nope he's not but there was that all sorts of awkward like right ah, I am 14 again I don't know how to function um but so it just kind of yeah, but I didn't broadcast it at all. And then I went out with a few different guys. I'm pretty open on social media. It's my journal. And so I share a lot, but I didn't I didn't share anything until <clears throat> I started dating Will. And it was very obvious to me that it was going to be a long-term thing. But even then, it was like a month in or something because I was... And I started to ease people into the idea that I was dating without saying who it was. Just kind of like, I know this is shocking, but yep, I'm dating. And I did. I got comments from people. Like one person told me they prayed about my dating someone and how they'd they'd finally gotten confirmation that it was okay for me. (laughs) That's not how that works, but okay. Bless you. I know. I think about that sometimes and I'm like, Oh, sweetheart. That was so nice of you to share. Maybe don't do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But there is a definite double standard when it comes to widows and widowers. Mm -hmm. Widows are supposed to be like draped in black lace, like sitting Mm -hmm. in a corner somewhere, moaning and like tearing their clothing and like, how will I, how will I ever move forward? Well, I won't. That's how. Like, that's what they're supposed to be doing. Yep. And, like, widowers are like, man, get back on that horse. You got to have someone to take care of your kids. Well, like, I was going to say, I think part of it's, like, it's assumed that men can't be alone. So they get a pass to, like, yeah, yeah. And they can take care of those kids. And heaven forbid they load the dishwasher or make, like, you know, soup. Like, they can't do it themselves. <laughs> right. They must find a woman. But a lady... And I, that's weird too because it's like ladies should stay home and take care of their children but you should not want another man you should be perfectly fine with mourning him the rest of your life maybe get Unless, married but but not really be in love maybe, like yeah, maybe that's maybe the best when you're old and you no longer are interested in any kind of bedroom hijinks that's when you're allowed to get married when it's for companionship <laughs> After you adopt, you adopt a bunch of cats, they all die, and then you're allowed to. <laughs> and then you're allowed to. But he has to be like, he can't hear. Right. And he's senile, and you're just, uh-huh. like, doing him a favor. <laughs> That's when you are allowed to move on. And so there was a sense of that. But there was also, I realized, and I talked to friends and people, and they were like, you know what? The people who really love you are going to want you to be happy. Yep. And also, the people who really know you and respect you aren't going to be worried that you're going to let a roach into your life who's going to steal all your money. Mm-hmm. Because there was a sense of that, like, from family members of, like, well, be careful because, you know, like, oh, thank you. That's all the men around me might want me for. They will take on all these children so that they can get to my money. But obviously for only like a week because I'll sign it all over to them and they will run off with it (laughs) because I'm stupid. And so, yeah, it's the people who love you and respect you and want the best for you. They are like, this is awesome. And they trust you. I had a 
dear friend I turned to and said, I'm thinking about dating. And she gave me the best advice. She, she was divorced and she said, do not start dating until you are perfectly fine with the idea that you might be alone for the rest of your life. Whoa. That was fantastic because she's like, you don't, you don't date to find someone to fix you. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. So how has becoming a widow changed you? How are you different now than you were before? I feel, and I'm sure you feel this way too, I would guess, that in order to become the person who could handle this, um, who could be strong enough to single parent and move forward and help my kids and um, still find, you know, happiness in this new life, I had to become a different Carolyn. I had to become a different person. Mm -hmm. I think that's really hard for people who are not there on that journey because they're used to the old person. They're used to treating you a certain way and certain expectations and certain reactions or, or things, certain relationships with people. And those all changed because my priorities had to change. Right. I, I did become stronger. I had to, I realized I was, I was just writing notes about this. I was like, how did I change? And I think, yeah, I had to become someone who trusted myself more trusted myself to know what was best. Like it's, there's nothing wrong with asking for advice or help, but ultimately I realized I had to be the one who, who, who made all the big decisions for our family. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a co-parent to say, well, how do you see it? It, I was it. And so I think that that just gave me more confidence, I think as a parent and as Mm -hmm. an adult, it was kind of, and I've been thinking about that. I don't know if that's, I changed or I just became who I am without a crutch. Because mm-hmm. I think when you have a partner, I don't know, especially where I married so young, I think a lot of who I was came through a filter of being with someone else and how they expected me to be. Right. Did, sure. did you did you see that at all with yourself? Yes. Yeah. Um. For me also, it was once I started setting boundaries, it kind of snowballed to where I was like, oh, this feels good. You know, this feels empowering. Like I get when I got a little taste of that, I wanted more of it because I was like, holy cow, like this, the setting boundaries thing, it felt healthy because I think because I was in an unhealthy thing for so long that once I started making things healthy and realizing that just, you know, in setting boundaries with different people, that, you know, that snowballed. And then the confidence thing, like the, at first I was petrified that I was the only mm-hmm. adult in the house and that I was now solely responsible for everything because oh, yeah. in a lot of ways, like you're 13. yes, because in a lot of ways, honestly, John and I had kind of a like parent child relationship in some ways. Like he was the grown up who took care of a lot of things and you know, I was kind yeah. of the younger, you know, where he took care of a lot of things that were, you know, quote unquote, like the grown up things. And so all of a sudden, like everything was on me. And at first I was petrified and felt like a child and like, there's no way I can handle any of this. And then I pretty quickly started like you get confidence where you're like, oh, no, I can handle this. I'm just oh, I'm just as much a grown up as like the next person, you know, I'm just. And so um, 
there's confidence mm-hmm. in that just kind of snowballs from like making decisions, trusting yourself, figuring out that you're not maybe a total shit show, you know, that you're like, oh, I can do this. And just even just a little bit of that um, just grows. So, yeah, I think people became a little bit surprised with me as well. Yeah, I I felt like Dave took care of a lot of the big adult things. Mm-hmm. And I did my share, but there was there were a lot of things I didn't know how to do it. Like, I think we both had our expertise. I took care of some things and he took care of some things. And then all of a sudden I had to do all the things. There were all sorts of things I had to learn and figure out. But yeah, I like that. I think it snowballed. I felt more confident. And previous to that, I think there were a lot of things that I felt like that's not something I can do. As if somehow there I was, you know, inept at things or just, right. just couldn't do it. And yeah, over time I realized I can do any of this. I can take care of all the things myself. I can take care of my family. Um, that doesn't, there again, I'm not saying I don't need help or, you know, I'm an island or something, but um, I just, that confidence grew that I can, I can manage things. But I think that was hard for people who were used to seeing me in a certain box, right. who yep. I filled a certain role and um, I was available for them when they needed me. Yeah, because my priori- priorities definitely shifted. I no longer had as much time to say chat on the phone with friends or family that there were some frivolous things that I just kind of couldn't manage anymore that just I didn't have as much time for my ability to deal with other people's drama and problems, I think lowered where like things before that I used to just let roll off my back and I didn't, it wasn't a big deal, which I mean, it's good to be easygoing and not let things bother you. But there were some fundamental, there were things that even Dave and some of my relationships with some of my family or other people that he would mention and say, why, why are you okay with that? Or they kind of treat you this way or that. And, um, you know, they, they treat you like you're kind of like the dumb little sister. And I often was okay with just, oh, it's, it's fine. They don't mean it. And I would brush it away. And I think, yeah, I think it's like on one side, you're getting stronger as a woman to be able to handle all these things, but then you're also going, okay, I'm no longer okay with this behavior. Mm -hmm. Yep. So it's like you can't do one without the other. And I think that's really hard for some people because they want you to be strong and capable and able to take care of your own crap. But they also want you to be the same person you were before. And you just can't be because in so many ways, that version of yourself died. You have that's that's all part of growth. It's all Mm -hmm. part of it. When that confidence grows and you become that other person, you're. And especially once you become solely responsible for, you know, for your kids, for your family, for yourself, for everything, then it's like your, not even willingness, but ability to put up with like everyone else's stuff. Like, it's just, it's not there. Like, sorry. It's the time's gone. There Mm -hmm. are just bigger fish to fry, bigger things that you have to worry about. And I think I started asking myself questions like, well, what do I want to do? how do I see the situation? And it was no longer, I didn't have that other adult to say, well, what do you think? How do you feel? And also thinking, well, how does, how would he want me to do this? What does he think of this? How should I act this way? Should I? And I mean, it makes it sound like I was this really weak woman, but I think in 
some ways we we all do that especially I think if you marry so young you kind of get used to this is who I'm supposed to be and so I feel like in some ways it kind of I don't know it was like I had to almost look at it and decide well who am I going to be now who am I going to be without Dave I've always been Carolyn and Dave this is who I've been for so many years like who is Carolyn by herself yep what kind of mom is she? What kind of woman is she? What kind of whatever fill in the blank? And I had to answer some of those. And some of that took time. And some of those things I'm still figuring out. But I think that's hard for other people who just want you to stay over here as this person. Well, they know how to handle you as that kind of a person. They know how to deal with you there. Mm-hmm. I need to get better at boundaries. I need to be better at saying I'm I'm not okay with this and not being as emotional because I get frustrated and I can talk and talk and talk about the situation. But it, when it's with the person that it's like, hey, you're, you've really hurt me. That's hard for me. Mm-hmm. Really, really hard for me to say I'm not okay with this. Because especially with people that are really, really close to me who are not capable of hearing that and working on it. So that that's where I'm at with some things where I need to be able to say, this is why this is hurtful, this type of behavior. And um, I'm not okay with it. Um, because I get so worried about, well, I think so, that's a whole nother thing, but we as women are just so conditioned to be polite and kind and don't rock the boat and don't be loud and don't say how you really feel. And so there are some relationships that are strained in my family right now because I have said, I am not okay with this. Mm-hmm. And I'm dealing with some fallout of that, of trying to figure out how to help people understand me and my feelings and what's okay and not okay. And my life has changed. I mean, I, I remarried. I, I have stepchildren. I have, my life is more complicated. And also, I'm married to my best friend. So that emotional need is not there as much for me. And Mm -hmm. so I don't want to sound cold, like, well, I don't need you. So deal with it. I get really, really stressed and anxious when people make me feel like I need to be a certain way for them. And it's like, do you know how many expectations I'm already failing? Like, if you make me feel like I am also failing at this, all I'm going to do is avoid it more, which is, yeah, really grown up. But I'm right there because I'm like, I short of saying, I don't have time for you. And I can't have I don't have room for this relationship in my life right now. And I think that's hard for people because they want to give their they want to weigh in. They want to say, well, it's not that bad, or you're being unreasonable, or what are boundaries mean? Well, you know, you've got to talk to someone. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's for and, you and your therapist to like, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. If you know, if you have Yes, because there was one person that was like, I just don't understand what you mean by boundaries. And it's like, well, sweetheart, I don't know what to say next. Here's the thing, too, though. It's not on you to help everybody else, like, acclimate to who you become. That's their job. It's not your job to help them transition into that. Like, they're grownups. They can do it. That's, yeah, that's what Will has said. He's like, this is not, there is change that has to happen in them. That's mm-hmm. not your job. And, but that, that is hard. It's so hard to be yourself and then in some way say, okay, suck it. I mean, this is who I am and I love you, but you're going to have to just figure out how to handle this. Okay. 
What is something you wish you would have known early on in the early days, right after he passed? What's what's one thing you would go back and tell yourself? Because here's I have no doubt with this podcast that the whole the whole point is that people in the early stages going through something are going to hear this and hopefully hear something they need to hear. What's something you wish you would have known or you wish someone would have told you right after? <laughs> this will sound a little crass. I wish I'd known what great life insurance Dave had. I didn't immediately know. And I was in this dark pit. So this is really helpful for anyone else, but I had no idea. So maybe for people who haven't gone through something like this, holy crap, get your finances in order so that yep. if something bad happens, make sure you're ready. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know. My first thought was like, oh my gosh, my kids lost their dad and I'm going to have to work or go back to school like full time and, and they're going to lose their mom too. And how horrible would that be? And, and I didn't know. And so I spent a lot of time stressing and freaking out very quietly. So my kids didn't know. Dave had taken care of us. And that is like a beautiful thing for me is that he... His family was so important to him. Whatever struggles and problems we had, he was a good man in almost every way. I know he had problems, but don't we all? I mean, crap, like I have problems and he had some obvious struggles that I feel bad for him for because there were parts of his life that he just didn't understand he didn't, they're back to that intimacy. He just didn't, he didn't know. He didn't know how to get what he wanted. Mm-hmm. He didn't fully understand or comprehend it. And maybe he would have gotten there eventually, but he didn't understand. And um, so whatever his faults, he was still just this amazing, amazing man. He took care of us. He, his family was so important to him. And, and even when he was gone and even now he's still taking care of us. Mm-hmm. And so well, I can look at the things that were hard and I have regrets and, 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 you know, I wish things had been this way or that. And, um, but I am filled with such gratitude for the ways he took care of us and is still doing that. I do wish I'd also known from the beginning that I was strong enough to do this. I wish I'd known in like deep in my gut and my soul to the bottom of my toes that I could do this and that I'd be good at it. And that like people would look up to me and not like that in a prideful way, but like people would take strength from my strength. It would make me feel like, okay, yeah. And I mean, I came, I fit, eventually found that out. Question, because really, if you had known that before, maybe you would have done things the way you did to find out you were strong enough. Because right. sometimes you just have to go through crappy stuff. Right. You have to go through hard things to realize Man, I'm a badass. What does the future look like for you? Um, well, I'm happily married um, to someone who is my very best friend. Um, he loves me in a way I didn't expect to be loved. And that's not to say, like, I don't think I deserved it or anything. I just, I don't know. I never experienced it before. And so... In so many ways, it's just weird. It's like, how can you be real? What's wrong with you? Where's the flaw? Where's the stitching? Where's the, I don't know, the seam, the, you know, something that shows like what's, I don't know. 
And so I, I often look at my life outside of myself. I don't know if you ever do that. Do you ever do that where you look oh, outside yeah. of you, you kind of step away emotionally or mentally and you look at your life and you, you're like, holy, oh my gosh, you know, like, how did I get here? And how is it like this? And I love this. I love this so much. And, and so my future is like sharing books <laughs> with my best friend who's also really fun to be intimate with, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I mean, years ago, a friend of mine told me the story about how her and her husband, it was bedtime and they were lying in bed and they were each reading their own book. And it had something to do with her. Her husband like exclaimed during the book because anyway, it's a lot, it's a long story. But the point is what I heard in that was, your husband and you like lay in bed at night and you read books. Like, that's really hot. <laughs> there was like, not even hot, but it was just like, it was actually like this sense of like, that's such like this warm, intimate, sort of cozy thing, ideal that like, I don't expect to have. I won't have, you know, and I don't have. And yeah, I and do. So, and now I do. And so it's, yeah, there is really, it's a weird thing where it's like, oh my gosh, I have that. And so it's a, it's a deep sense of gratitude while also, I mean, there's still a lot of hard. My kids miss their dad. They miss him. They love Will. They love their stepdad. They, um, they appreciate him. They have fun with him and he loves them and, and it's great, but it's, there will always be that hole. And, um, he tries to fill it as much as he can, but you can't, you know, not completely. So we work at it. We, we talk a lot. We talk about how to help each of them and we're aware of their struggles and we try to be um, good at making sure they understand that we are here for them and that we know it's hard and we can talk about how it's hard. We don't expect anyone to be like, isn't it great? We're just this one happy family and everything's perfect. It is not. It is hard, but it's great and it's worth it. I admire you, friend. <laughs> I admire you. You're awesome. I already said that. I, I ditto that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> this has been episode three of Are We Allowed to Talk About This Yet? Thanks for listening. Thanks to my friend Carolyn for being badass and sharing her story. Thanks to Nick Flora for production. Drop questions and comments to our email at arewealloudpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at arewealloudpodcast and at Susie G. Writer. New episodes every Tuesday. Subscribe on iTunes and Podbean.